Good evening. Thank all of you for your presence this evening as we begin our subject for this evening. I feel like the Apostle Paul, so if I make husband and wives both mad, I have done my job this evening. Because <laughs> I'm speaking on this subject as an outsider, which I prefer. <laughs> I can be more objective. We realize and understand that the will of God concerning marriage and divorce and remarriage basically was established in the scriptures from the very beginning. And that law of concern that has never changed as it were through all the years this old earth has stood and has never changed or been reenacted by anything else but what was said from the beginning in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve. But the problem of it is it is that uh, fact which has been distorted it is that which has been, we might say, in essence, destroyed by those in the world around us who are trying to make everything possible and pleasable to man. Let him have any way he wants to live, on the, uh, live his life, live together, same-sex marriage, or whatever. Man has devised other ways to make marriage look profitable or ideal in the eyes of those around us. But that still does not change the law of God. And when you think about it for a moment, it makes no difference what the President and the Vice President of the United States says about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. It makes no difference what states have established for what marriage is. In their eyes, whether it be same partner, same sex, or otherwise, does not change the law of God. But the problem is, we know where the world stands on this. We don't have to ask, we already know. The problem is, and it is a very sad problem, what does the members of the body of Christ stand on the issue of marriage, divorce, and remarriage? We have seen even within our own ranks what has happened to it as even members of the body of Christ have destroyed it because of family, because even of themselves to justify what they have gotten themselves into or why they want to divorce their mate and remarry someone else. So this evening we want to look at this law of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And once again remind ourselves of what the Word of God says, not what some state law, federal law, or whatever else says concerning it. But we must begin what we call with simply what we call the false, false positions that are being taken. These are only a few, they're not all of them, but these give us an idea of where man stands concerning marriage, divorce, and remarriage. We realize, we look at the Word of God the false doctrines concerning this have been taught not only in the day of Christ, they're still being taught today. The scriptures that were rested in the day of Christ concerning this subject and other subjects and other way to live then is still being on to, going on today. And so when we look at the law of marriage, divorce, and remarriage, the, thing, the ideas that were prevalent in the days of Christ are still being taught today in the 21st century. They may be packaged differently. They may be worded a little differently to bring them across, but they're still here. And so you see, we begin with the false premises. One false premise, it simply tells us that if one is in an unscriptural marriage, having divorced for reasons other than fornication and remarried anyway, thereby living in adultery, if one becomes a Christian, he can continue in that adulterous relationship. What is the truth? The truth is this we do know. Sins can be forgiven. In this case, we look at marriage, divorce, remarriage, we can say whether it be polygamy 
homosexuality or adultery, they can be forgiven. But in order for them to be forgiven, there is the necessity of repentance that demands a ceasing of that conduct that we're engaging in that is wrong, that we're asking God to forgive us of. There must be a ceasing. In other words, we understand it this way, putting it plain, one cannot remain a faithful child of God and remain in a relationship that is adulterous and fornicated against the Word of God. It cannot happen. But yet that is being propagated among us that if you are living in this situation, become a child of God, that is all past and forgotten by God. No, no, no. If you're still in sin, even if you be supposedly become a child of God, you're still living in sin as long as you're in that relationship. Another false doctrine. A false idea that's come along is that other invented this kind of goes along with the other one that God's law concerning marriage, divorce, and remarriage applies only to Christians. So the doctrine contends all marriages entered into before one becomes a child of God does not count. Had nothing to do with it. Whatsoever. Again, sort of being washed away and wiped away once you become a child of God. So they're teaching us, reminding us that nobody except a child of God is amendable to the things that Jesus Christ both in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 19. We're the only ones amenable to it. No one else is. And of course, we've heard these unscriptural terms to back that up such as a covenant passage or that core gospel that all that we're allowed to believe in becomes the basis of this. What they refuse to admit, what they refuse to understand, which anyone with a good mind would know already, that God's law that applies universally about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and that we're going to prove before this lesson is over. It applies to everyone. When he taught on this subject, he taught it in a way to remind us he, is re, he reinstated God's intent for marriage and the home as it was from the beginning when the human race was created. That law he handed down to Adam and Eve, he says, has not changed through all the years. Others will say in the event of a divorce, even for fornication, that the guilty party is as free to remarry as the innocent party. The argument is this, for this one, that since the marriage bond is broken for one, it is broken for both of them. That is true, but that doesn't answer the problem, does it? It doesn't address the fact of what's really going on here. Because they'll agree with you that the innocent has the right to remarry. They'll agree with you all day long. But they fail to recognize that not only is the marriage bond broken, the law of God grants innocent the right of divorce and remarriage, but the law of God has, says nothing to condone the remarriage of that guilty party. We don't find it. But yet they say, oh, you know, it's marriage bond's broken, it's broken anyway, so either both parties have the right to do what they want to do. No, no, no. There is no authority in the Word of God to teach that the guilty has the right to remarry with God's approval. Nowhere whatsoever. So we've strongly denied the right of the guilty to put away his marriage and remarry for whatever reason. These doctrines are not are those outside true. These doctrines also are in the body of Christ. 
being taught even at this very moment. If you get to the root cause of why they're being propagated, you'd find that's because either they themselves are in this kind of relationship and find a way to justify it, or they have family members who are caught in this and they want a reason to justify that. So they're going to do whatever they can to rest the scriptures to make a point and prove it. But none of these things we have brought up so far as false doctrines are true and cannot be backed up by the word of God. Twice, our Savior mentioned what it is about the marriage, divorce, and remarriage law. These passages are similar in respect as we read them. The first one is Matthew 5, verses 31 and 32. The other one is Matthew 19, 3 through verse 9. Matthew 5 simply says this. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that any, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, make her commit adultery, and whoever marries a, a divorced woman commits adultery. Notice as Christ states in that verse at the beginning. In other words, basically you have heard it said of old that you can write, give whoever give, let him give his wife a certificate of divorce. And that's fine, well, and good according to the things of the past. But notice what Christ said, I say unto you, here is the law. Here is the law. Matthew 3, Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9 is what we're going to use this evening. Listen to him as he speaks as the Pharisee come to him and ask him a question. He said, the Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer one, uh, two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let, man, let not man separate. Then they said to him, Why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. When we look at these two passages and we encourage ourselves to really look at Matthew 19, 3 through 9, what do we notice? The Pharisees begin by asking a question. This question reflects the practice of putting away one spouse for any cause whatsoever, how trivial it may be. They ask him the question. It also reflects the false doctrine taught then, taught now. As we all know, you go to court, you can get divorced for any reason under the sun, from burning toast to adultery, and we all know that. But verses 4 through 6 is Christ's answer to that. He cites the original record as God intended from, Matthew, I mean from Genesis chapter 2. That marriage is for life and what God has joined together should not be separated at all by man. That God also reminds us he has not joined every union into which people must enter even if it's called marriage. Not every marriage is sanctioned by God. It might be by the state, but not by God. He also reminds us one must be marriageable before marriage can be approved by the Lord. And we all know that not everyone who's marriageable is because of previous conduct in their lives which forfeits that. And we'll move on with that later. His answer also shows the law to be applied universally. 
being given, he says, at the beginning of the human race, before there was Christianity. Notice the broad term here, whoever. Who does that apply to? Who is that referencing? Is it just us in this building this evening because we're children of God, the law only applies unto us? Is that the whoever in that verse? Is it those just in the city of Red Bank that law only applies to them and no one else? Who's the who? Chattanooga, Hamilton County, state of Tennessee? We all know the word whoever implies every living human being on the face of the earth. The law of marriage is universal. It is not a church ordinance. It's not a church sacrament. It doesn't just apply only to Christians. Regardless of what anybody can say, what everybody has done prior to being to, uh, into Christ, the will of the Godhead is that which has been from the beginning. One man, one moment for life. And that's the only way it's to be according to God except for the one exception. But the second question in that reading is in verse 7 and 8. It takes note of the fact of what was said in Deuteronomy 24 and verse 1. To which questioners referred to him on that occasion. A matter of trying to trick him or a matter of trying to get him to go along with what they were thinking. But if you read and listen to Deuteronomy 24 and verse 1, it did not command divorce, nor does it sanction divorce, nor was divorce approved in that verse, but commanded simply a writing of divorcement, a document in the event thereof. Listen to what it says. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. Does that reading sanction divorce? No. Does it give a command for divorce? No. It just simply says you give her a document of writing that says I am simply divorcing you. His response to this was very simple. He simply says, I'm going to explain to you why the divorces were allowed, not approved. It was the hardness of your heart, your stubborn will, your rebellious attitude that allowed it to happen. But repeated again, it was never God's intention for divorce to occur. Never was his intention. Verse 9 is Christ's teaching, which is also found in Matthew 5, verse 31 and 32. In contrast to what they had heard in times past from whatever source, even among themselves, Christ said, here is the law. There are two phrases involved in that verse. And verse 9 says that I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality commits adultery. 5 and 32 says and whoever marries that divorced woman commits adultery. The first one, verse 9 of Matthew 19, is a statement of the general rule regarding divorce and remarriage. What it simply says, it is forbidden. Plain and simple. There is one exception to this rule. One exception. And it is stated what we call an acceptive clause, which means that cause is the only cause for the exception. And Christ says, only 
if there has been fornication, can there be an allowed divorce? Only fornication. Only fornication. Nothing else. The second phrase deals with those who marry a person who's been put away. They're basically, if you look at that verse in chapter 5, verse 32, there are really two whoever's in that verse. One is the one who puts away his spouse on grounds other than fornication and remarries. The second is the one who marries the put away one regardless of the reason why they've been put away. For whatever reason, burning a toast that I don't like you no more makes no difference. Christ simply says the put away one has no right to remarry. And if they do, the one they're married to is also guilty of adultery. Because they're both guilty of it in that relationship. Look at the word, the two words, commit adultery. English language tends to do harm to the wonderful Greek language. Because when you read this in Greek, you'd have no, you would have no doubt what he's saying. To us, we have to go back to it and explain it. When we look at this, this meaning of this cannot be ignored and cannot be set aside. Because it does violence to what is taught by, the word, by God and by Christ in these verses. It is in the present tense, which means a continuing action. Lydia, one who puts away his spouse on grounds other than fornication and remarries, keeps on committing adultery. Is what Christ simply said. You put away your spouse and you marry another, you keep on committing adultery. It don't make any difference what society thinks. It makes no difference what civil law may accept and condone. This is what God's word teaches. And it's plain and simple. The passage is reminding us. The passage is teaching us and it is warning us. That all people who put away their mate, except for the reason of fornication of one being put away in remarriage, keeps on committing adultery. There's no way around it. But those who put away a spouse who's committed adultery has the right to put away that spouse who's done that very thing. And if they choose, they can remarry. But, but, Provided the one they marry has the right to marry also. Don't ever forget that one. They have the right to remarry. It's an innocent party. But the one they have chosen also better have the right to remarry. Or guess what? They're right back into the very thing that Christ says is the only exception. Right to remarry. Persons guilty of fornication that are put away are not granted the right to remarry and to be pleasing unto God. State law says they can remarry. Federal government can say they can remarry. In the eyes of society, they may be married. But God says, I don't recognize it. And I never will. But also, the right of putting away only belongs to the one who's innocent. of fornication, what we call the one who's not guilty. That's what Christ taught concerning marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Except fact, one man, one woman for life. What God intended was the great separator to be in a marriage would be only death. Would be the only thing that would separate 
But in that, Christ said there is one and only one exception. And it's for fornication and nothing else. But in spite of what we read, in spite of what we know Christ said, and it is very plain in what he presents to us, there are always those who are going to object. There's always going to be someone to complain. And who's going to mention the fact? Well, look at it this way. If the, life, if the wife is loose from her husband, well, ain't the husband loose from his wife? They would complain. Well, I agree with that. But that's not, that's not answering the question regarding the right of putting away and remarrying. It's stating a fact. If the marriage bond is broken for one, it's broken for both. That is true. But that does not answer the question regarding the putting away and remarrying. Such is not merely determined by the manner of loosing, as it were. Both are still amenable to God's law on marriage. You see, there's more involved than simply a man or woman or a husband and wife. God grants the innocent the right to remarry and put away that one and remarry, but no right again, we're going to emphasize, is given to those that's guilty by the law of God. It's not given. But those would complain and said, well, that means many couples that are around here today that are married and carried a marriage license and went to the judge or to, to a minister or whatever is living in adultery. Yes, that is true. Many marriages today are in an adulterous relationship. It is sad. It is truly sad. But it does not change the will of God concerning what he said marriage was to be. Well, some others would complain from this says, well, there must, be, there must be no forgiveness whatever for the one who is the fornicator in this thing. The way you're talking, they can never be forgiven. Yeah, they can be forgiven. If the conditions are met, they can be. If he's a fornicator, he's a fornicator not a member of the body of Christ, he has to obey the will of God. To become a child of his. If he is a Christian. Finds himself in this guilty of fornication. He must be restored to be forgiven. But. In both cases. Forgiveness does not grant permission. For remarriage. Or to remain in adulterous. Relationship. The blood of Christ will wipe away sins. But it does not wipe away a sin that you're still continuing in once you're raised out of that watery grave. Will not wash it away. If you want forgiveness, you ask God that you're repenting of it, then you've got to cease what you are doing. That's what repentance is. That's what makes it the hardest command of all to become a child of God. Too many people are not willing to give it up. Yes, you can be forgiven. But it's not granted permission to continue. We want to remind ourselves there are, according to the Word of God, three classes of people who have the right to marry. Those who have never been married. Those whom their spouse has died has the right to remarry. Again, we caution, provided the one that they are about to marry also has the right to do so. Or else they put themselves right back into, into an adulterous situation which they 
really are saying we don't want to be, but can be if that's the case. And the other third class is those who have married but divorced because their mate was guilty of fornication. In all three instances, watch it, we are going to have to assume when we talk to these individuals that both parties to the marriage have that right to do so. That again, we cannot overemphasize of having the right to marry. Involves more than going down the aisle and exchanging vows and signing a license. It is based upon the word of God. But there is one other thing that can happen. The innocent party also has another right. And that innocent party has the right to forgive and keep that marriage going. They have that right. To decide that they're not going to end it in divorce. That they're going to give that spouse, as it were, another opportunity to make it right. To quit, that is, to cease what they've been doing in that adulterous relationship and give it up. And we might say basically come home and be a husband and wife as they should be. Innocent party has that right. But again, God will forgive. If that person is willing to repent and willing to cease and the conditions are met. And we know repentance again and again and again demands ceasing from sin and to leave that adulterous relationship that they're in. In other words, we look at it this way. Genuine repentance will be shown outwardly through a reformed life once that person is repented and asked God to forgive them. The outward acts will let us know, yes, I have asked God to forgive me, and yes, I have repented and ceased doing that which I know to be wrong. Then we see it. Because you see, one cannot keep on stealing and keep on lying or commit adultery and say to God, I want to, I'm a faithful child of yours, does not go together. <coughs> any other approach that we might look upon, any argument that's brought up, any other case someone says, oh, I have found a way, nullifies this wonderful sanctity of marriage and renders everything our Lord said in these two passages null and void. If you look at society today by the way it acts and conducts itself, its attitude would be, it would have been far better off for all of us if Christ had said absolutely nothing on the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and let's do whatever we want to do of our lives without any qualms, wills, or anything else going against us or being hollered at that we're committing sin. We would be far better off in our own minds and lives. But again, we must ask ourselves, do we really want to do whatever we want to do? Some people would say yes, but the end result, the consequences may be too much to bear. The Lord has spoken. One man, one woman for life. The only separator is death. Christ gave one exception, fornication. That is the only exception given to dissolve a marriage. 
That's not mine, not the elders, or the Dimmerons, or anyone else's. That is the law of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Probably no other subject more uh, precious and tender and controversial today than the one we've just heard. <clears throat> I don't do formal as well as, as Jim does, but I wanted to mention to you that are visiting and does, do not know uh, Preston Edmondson. He is... Uh, one of our members here, and we've not seen him very much lately. He's been filling in uh, preaching. And uh, as Jim has said many times, we are so fortunate that we have a variety of men that can come up and preach the gospel and do such a, a fine job. And, and I appreciate the truth being spoken this evening. Thank you, Preston. We also appreciate... Uh, each of you being here, your visitors, we hope you'll be back with us Sunday morning. We begin our Bible classes at 9.30 and our worship service at 10.30. <clears throat> at this time, if you will stand, Brother Bill Jenkins will dismiss, dismiss us in prayer.